We who are about to die salute you. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris and Chris, and it is episode 19 of Moratory Monday here at the Chris and Reggie channel, and uh, we've kept it weekly for a while now, and uh, I don't think there's anything about to stop it. Well, maybe, huh, well, we're going to find out that this is a penultimate issue in, in many ways very soon, uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get there when we get there. How's this week treating you, Chris? Well, the moratory process has not caught up with me this week, so I'm still alive. It is Monday, and it's beautiful, Christopher. And our mothers did very well yesterday on Mother's Day, and uh, it was just a, a wonderful all-around good week so far. We're only two days in, so anything can change at any point. That's a true statement. Yeah, this is a uh, – I've been on semester break from uh, grad school for a week now, and Excellent. I'm rapidly finding out that an idle mind is not good for me uh, i need to be busy all the time otherwise i i just lose my mind here it's for the past uh I, we, we try not to talk about the present crisis but uh people have been home and people have had yes. a lot of free time and uh i was at home but i didn't have free time because i had you know 50 pages of academic paper to write <laughs> for the Ugh. past uh, you know month and a half and i was so envious of all the folks just like, ah, I got nothing to do today. It's like, man, I wish I didn't have to write, you know, five pages of uh, behaviorism today. You know, that would be great. <laughs> and, yeah, and you could be home. You could be home Netflixing and chilling. You could be drawing sure. on windows. You could be celebrating the essential workers. You could do it all. Everything but work. Mm-hmm. Hell Absolutely. Yeah. And now I have time and, <laughs> oh boy, it sucks. Oh, I, I feel I, I was so wrong. Uh, <laughs> and I, I apologize for my envy over the past several weeks because it, 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 there's such a thing as too much free time. And uh, yes, I've sir. experienced it and uh, I'm looking forward to it being over. But uh, how, in how, a way, go ahead. How, how quick did your uh, TV viewing run out on you? You know, I, that's one thing I, I don't really do all that much. Um, but just the I, my problem is that I sit and I think, and I, I have very catastrophic thinking um, in, in a lot of different ways. So, like, you know, I, I, I relate it to, uh, you know, I was a, a plant supervisor for a recycling plant many years ago, and I dealt primarily with truck drivers. And uh, God bless them, truck drivers, they, uh, they, do, they do great work, but uh, they're also alone a lot. Yes, and they, sir. They have a lot of time to think. <laughs> and they have a lot of time to um, uh, paranoia sets in. They 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 think that everybody's out to get them. They think everything is a slight. And uh, and, and this is not a, a you know far-reaching statement here. This is just my anecdotal experience. But I've been getting that way. I have too much time, and I'm in my own head, and it's just brutal. Uh, it's just not pleasant, and I'm looking forward to it being over. It's like I need to sign up at community college just to kill the time that I have here at grad school. I need something to occupy my time. And uh, thankfully, we have a show 
that uh, that yes. will help to occupy <laughs> a little bit of our time today. And uh, that is, of course, Moratorium Mondays. But uh, before we get into the actual meat and potatoes here, uh, what's that new segment? What is that segment that we just launched here? What do you call we, on that? We just launched Pitch Force, Pitch Force, Pitch Force, Pitch Force. Moratorium, Moratorium, Moratorium. That's pitch the Force one. Moratorium. Yes, right. And basically, the whole idea behind it is to take this franchise, this the this entire uh, strike force moratory deal. Merchandising, merchandising. We are going to merchandise it. We're going to bring it to fields where you're never going to expect. And today is no different because we are going to bring strike force moratory into the 1988 video game market. Mm-hmm. No, if you ever wondered what that would look like, well, it's going to look like a pile of dung intentionally because this thing. <laughs> We today we're going to pitch Strike Force Moratory the video game and there's not one company that I would have preferred to have put out this particular video game during this during 1988 but our fine folks at LJN yes LJN one of the mm-hmm. most maligned video game companies of all time and if you wonder what LJN is all about if you're not familiar with retro gaming go to a retro video game store and rent LJN Wrestlemania and you will want to hunt me down like a dog in the woods oh yeah back <laughs> to the future Roger Rabbit Whoa. oh there's Oof. there's some stinkers in there for sure and uh <laughs> and yeah that, that I think that perfectly fit a uh and they also did the X-Men so uh so yes. Strike Force Moratory would fit in just great. So this particular one is actually, we actually designed an entire cover. And Chris, you've actually created a couple screens as well, which we're yes. going to share on yes, Twitter. And you are, you're gonna, <laughs> I think you're going to dig it because we've intentionally done this uh, to look like the old X-Men game. So I think, we, I think we'd pulled it off pretty good. Those title <laughs> screens are, are probably a notch above what X-Men delivered back in 1987. So <laughs> anyway. So, Strike Force Moratory, the video game. So, this is for the Nintendo Entertainment System. It is for two players, and it contains eight brutal levels. Mm-hmm. Now, the playable levels, and there's going to be one hidden level that's going to be unlocked. Yes. Now, we start our playable characters to start. We're going to start with our classic roster. Viking, Blackthorn, Snapdragon, Radian, Marathon, and Adept. And it's just a funny. little... Yeah, we have, a, like, Marathon here... I'm looking. I'm looking at the player select screen here, and uh, he's called Malfun. <laughs> that's that's weird. And uh, Radian is called Ladian. Now, now, um, why would that be, Chris? What I what happened with uh, with Japanese imported discs back in the day? Let's let's run the let's run the folks through that little <laughs> bit of that little bit of 80s nostalgia. Yes, uh, the uh, the translations were uh, loose. Um, they there was a they called it English and uh, <laughs> and and I mean it's pretty self-explanatory here um, where you'd see like instead of it saying congratulations at the end of a game it would say congratulation uh, I mean it's just the way it was and it's uh, I think a lot of folks listening who were uh, who were you know children at the time or just played video games at the time this might bring a little uh, might evoke a little bit of the warm fuzzies for you because. Uh, I, you know, I love that kind of stuff too. It's just uh, so silly, but uh, but it's so, so this this, this game has been brought to you in English. <laughs> it has been. That's perfect. So we're just going to talk a little bit about. We're going to discuss what the gameplay looks like and what each level looks like. So bear with us. So the gameplay overview. So this game is actually going to be a combination of a side scroller and a top overview. So it's going to be similar in part to Konami's Contra and of course my favorite X Men: <laughs> The Mother F and Video Game. Well, so 
Yes, sir. And just like X-Men, the gameplay relies on two characters at once to advance for each level. Now, each level, of course, at the end has a boss that must be defeated to advance to the next level. Now, the game offers a drop-in, drop-out feature where you can interchange your characters as you go. And the game consists of two uh, timers as well, one visible to the player, where they must finish the level before their life runs out, literally. And the other vis- the other one is actually invisible. To really play up, the moratorium can die at any time type of deal. So there you go. That, that, that was a feature they put in this. It's like, hey, you could so you could start this game up, press start, two steps in the level, you die. Because you're really living the moratory lifestyle here. It's a uh, that's that's what we that's what we in the business call realism. Yes, and we're doing actually people a favor when we kill them two steps in while playing an LJN game. Oh, you'll thank so. us. You'll thank us. <laughs> so, what do you run through level one for him, Christopher? Certainly, certainly. Now, level one is the garden, and uh, in it, the team must pass their training session set out by Commander Beth Neon in order to advance to become a true moratory recruit. Now, the level is a sort of a contained danger room style level filled with laser cannons at just about every turn. We have a, vines that attack them, poisonous darts being fired. The final boss of this level is the Garden Defense Grid Wall, which is overseen by Beth Neon in the observatory window. The recruits must disarm the laser cannons that shoot at them and then blow the lock with the door in time to beat the clock. Now, level one, you're going to have to have Viking with you in order to deflect the garden defense system fire in order to achieve victory. Now, if you deactivate the garden's defenses with exactly 22 seconds left on the clock and enter the final door backwards, you're going to be delivered <laughs> to level minus one. Oh, no. It's crazy. Now, this level is, well, it's the same as the first level, only glitched out and all the characters outfits are black. Um, also all the enemy sprites sort of look like cats. I don't know what that's all about. Uh, many people believe that this was intended as a secret black watch level, but, uh, none of the programmers are willing to confirm and, and most of them don't even remember that they made this game to begin with. Um, now this level is unbeatable. This, uh, negative one level is unbeatable. It just loops forever, forever, forever. No matter how many times you bust through the defenses, it just loops so you're going to have to reset your system, remove the cartridge, blow into it, return it to the console, and start over at this point. <laughs> Perfect. And guess what? I swear that that blowing in that cartridge was a real thing. I don't care what anybody oh, tells me. Absolutely. 100%. People tell me all the time, oh, that's a myth. I guarantee you that that has saved a number of my games by blowing in that cartridge. You know, yeah, experimentation. The way you confirm an experiment is by repetition. And. Uh, <laughs> I have re- I have repeated the blowing into the cartridge thing thousands of times, and uh, and per that repetition, I will confirm that it works. So t- so check this out. So if you're doing a analysis or a uh, an experiment and you're trying to find out if the blowing actually works in, pull the game out when it glitches out. Do not blow in it. Put it back in again, and I guarantee mm-hmm. it still won't work. But you take it out, <laughs> blow in it a couple times, and that thing will boot up. I guarantee it. Absolutely. 
Myth or not. Anyway, level two. If heaven forbid you manage to figure out you got to reset your system in the uh, in the negative level, you're going to end up in the Hershey Chocolate Factory. So this is from one of the early books. So the Horde actually invaded. One of their first encounters was at the Hershey Chocolate Factory where the Horde invaded. So this time, it's the team's first encounter with the Horde. And they have to stop the thieving Horde foot soldiers from getting away with the factory's food supply. The level is like a side-scroller in orientation. And the players must get through the booby-trapped factory to make it through the Horde supply ship. And at the end, at the level's end, you must destroy it to prevent the enemy from getting the goods. Now, the final boss is a fully armed Hordean supply ship, which is taking off. So it's similar to if you ever played Super C, some mm-hmm. of the helicopters that fly up and you have to disarm the uh, the helicopter before it leaves. The team must shoot the ship out of the air, and they're bombarded, of course, by the ship's blaster cannons. And Hordean foot soldiers are just dropping from the ship, and they're just running and knocking you over and killing you, just like just like good old classic Contra. This level requires Snapdragon Plasma Blast to destroy the ship's engine core to save the day and board the Hordean battlecruiser. Mm-hmm. That is actually level three. We're on board that Hordean battlecruiser. There, our team finds themselves on the cruiser. Now, the gameplay is an overhead view here, and the team must retrieve the Hordian tech readouts from the ship's database, and then escape back to Earth in an escape pod at the end of the room. Now, this level is a series of traps, fall-away floors, lasers, uh, Hordian soldiers behind every closed door, as always. Um, (laughs) The level requires Adept in order to analyze the Hordian data, which is good because Actually, Adept doesn't have a combat button in this game. <laughs> no, sir. You can press she, B she, all you want. She, she analyzes not. only. She will That's sit there it. and analyze. Mm-hmm. You, you, she does not shoot anything. She doesn't punch. You hit A, you hit B. She doesn't do anything but analyze. Um, but she's not alone because <laughs> we got Robert here. He's going to smash the ship's interior to cover for the rest of them to escape. Now, the boss at the end of this level is a Hordian commander head with eight long tentacles. And each of these tentacles have to be individually destroyed along with the room in order to beat the level and send the team back home safely. Oh, there you go. I like I like the in, the floating head thing. I always like the mm-hmm. giant boss at the end of a level, especially when it has tentacles and you got to destroy an arm or an eye exactly. or something. Always love that. So classic, classic level. Now, level four, we're going to see it's called Freshman. So after the victory at the Chocolate Factory and aboard the Hordian Cruiser, um, the team are arrested but have to uh, have to use two of the three new recruits to break him out of jail. So here we're going to meet three new playable characters, Scaredy Cat, Scatterbrain, and Toxin, of course, which are classic G2 characters. Now, the characters have to advance through the Paideia jail without alerting the guards, so they have to stealthily get through instead of punching and destroying stuff. Yes! So it's a touch of Metal Gear you have to get through without alerting the guard. The new recruits must use their powers to neutralize the guards without triggering without triggering alarms. The characters must free the Generation 1 recruits, then fight their way back through the jail to freedom. Now, this level requires Toxin to dispense poison on the guards, and the second half level uh, requires Blackthorn to actually melt the exit doors to get the freedom. Now, the main boss is a Pydea super tank. So it's one of these things similar to a Metal Gear or a Contra where we have to blow up the tank and the turret mm-hmm. and the whole nine yards. And that then they're off to freedom. What's next, Chris? Level five. Next, level five is called Kidnapped. And in this one, a car is hijacked by a Hordian warrior. And it's our job to stop that car before it reaches its destination and save the humans because it, it was hijacked. Uh, Now, we chase the car through a series of highways, back roads, and many other obstacles. So this is like a side 
side-scrolling, you know, driving level here, or flying, actually. Now, this level uh, requires Viking and the Strike Force Moratory Hypersonic Striker Jet. Yeah! Um, yes, we're, we're now we're playing with power. Um, now, the boss of this level <laughs> is unlocked once you successfully stop the vehicle, and this uh, boss is a giant transforming Super Hordian. The objective is to disarm his eight tentacle arms and then defeat his flying heads. So we're uh, we're doing the classic thing here. It's like a reskin of a, of a previous boss. <laughs> exactly. They keep getting bigger a and weirder. Swap. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. You can, you know you can't you can't make individual levels. That would be ridiculous. No. This is LJN for God's sake. They're lucky to have one individual level. <laughs> the red one is stronger than the blue one. You know that. It's the same guy, but he's red. That's exactly right. And better, because he's red. But anyway, <laughs> level six, we meet G3. All right, this is called Generation 3, and it's a battle royal. The Paidea have completely lost faith in your recruits, and they have sent in a brand new team of moratory recruits to shut you down. So this level requires all of your moratory recruits as you take... Um, take on the host of the Paidea police officers, so you get challenged by police to start the level, of course, and then they're challenged by Generation 3 of Moratorium. We are introduced to Brava, Sheer, Hardcase, Backhand, Silencer, and the Haberdasher himself, Wildcard, which is which I, I can't wait to see in... Uh, in um, in pixel form because yes. that guy just never gets enough credit and i think i might make myself a wildcard t-shirt just because it's 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 obscure enough and i'd just love to have one <laughs> and fashionable yeah damn right you look good in downtown detroit with that on brother <laughs> <laughs> so this level features a drop in and drop out character swapping action uh more than more than normal because you can uh pair each individual moratory off with one of the new recruits once all six characters are defeated all g3 recruits now become playable characters for you for the remainder of the game onwards to level seven I, I like that at level like as a uh, like a smash TV sort of level where like yes like police just come storming in through the top bottom left and right of the screen and you're just <laughs> knocking them all out to get to the uh, to the end of it here. But, man, uh, I hated Smash TV. Oh, so did I. So did man, I. did I hate that game. <laughs> now level seven is the Moratory Monster Factory. Now our team searches out a secret lab where the PDF created a race of Moratory monsters. Now, the mission requires Shear and Silencer. So you make your way through an obstacle and security arm lab facility, and your goal is to seek out the nefarious creations and shut them down for good. Now, the boss characters here are those three monster moratory. You fight them all at once, and you have to find their weaken weakness and silence them monsters. Oh, 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 Silencer playing a part here. Imagine who would have ever thought you saw Silencer in a video game or an LJN game. It seems to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, when you hit B, it just like really it just glitches out the sound in your in your Nintendo. Like, <laughs> instead, of, inst instead, of the usual bleeps and bloops is just. <laughs> 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 Terrible. Uh, anyway. The final level, level eight, the commander's throne room, and it's the final battle. And you and your team have finally made it aboard the Hordian mothership. Now, this is very similar in texture and uh, and graphic design as the uh, the Hordian cruise ship earlier on. <laughs> just, <laughs> just longer, of course. You know, it's LJN, for God's sake. Now, your mission is to make your way through the ship and face the supreme Hordian in a final battle. After each defeat, the Hordian grows bigger and stronger. After you defeat them three times, a timer begins, and you have two minutes to make your way to make your escape 
uh, to the escape pods and leave the mothership before it self-destructs. Now, this level actually requires Marathon basically to commit suicide and also <laughs> contains a special appearance by Beth Neon and Dr. Tulima. So basically, <laughs> now finally, when you're completed, the end credits are just a basic one screen ending. And all it shows is the picture of the team celebrating, not moving, of course, just a picture. And it says, Congratulation! <laughs> you have defeated the horde. We who are about to die, but not today. The mm-hmm. end. <laughs> Thank you, LJN. I just wasted $30. Yeah, so fifty dollars. Fifty. Oh yes, fifty. Yes. Yes, for sure. You had to you had to take the little ticket to the uh, to the register at Toys R Us, and then they, they they stamped it, and you went to the back room, and they got the thing off the thing. Man, those were the days. <laughs> Classic. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that is our pitch for Strike Force Moratory, the video game. So uh, we want to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Um, maybe there'll be a Super Strike Force Moratory for the Super Nintendo. Who who knows? I mean, well, those LJN they can remap like a SOB. They can indeed. <laughs> but uh, no, we had a lot of fun doing that. We got some images we'll be sharing uh, on the uh, on the socials. Uh, you'll see the box art. You'll see some pixel art. Uh, you'll see a character select screen and uh, the title screen. So uh, oh, we got I want, some stuff. I want to run down next week's Pitch Force Moratory. You're going to love this. I haven't even informed you on this one. Oh, I, I, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait. So, so next week. We're going to be introduced to Strike Force Moratory, the soap opera, which is <laughs> Moratory. I'm not even going to tell you the name of it because it's all about a wonderful makeup cosmetics emporium. Yes. So it's oh, going to be boy. corporate Strike Force Moratory in soap opera mode. And boy, oh, there will be having some sexual relations in this one. <laughs> now, do you uh, do you watch any soaps? Oh, my heavens. Uh, I mean, no, hell, I don't watch that. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, so my wife and I watched Faithfully Young and the Restless for uh, several years, okay. and I casually watched out of the corner of my eye Days of Our Lives for one character. Dude. And it's John Dude. and Marlena. John oh, my Black. God. John Marlena. Black. He's got a neural <laughs> processor in my brain, Doc. It's Stefano. <laughs> Doc, we got to get Roman out of, out of Stefano's castle. Doc. <laughs> Love oh, it. dude, we watch that every day. We've oh, watched that every day for 20 years life. now. And I'm, like I said, I'm a casual watcher, but it seems like the entire It's the same cast, thing, dude. Yes, I still see Patch. I see all these guys still on the show. It's well, so good. Patch was just brought back as Stefano. Oh, yes. They perfect. brought they they put a they put a uh, they put like an inhibitor in his brain. He, <laughs> they put Stefano's essence in his brain. Dr. Rolf did it. And and like the past six months have been Steve Patch as Stefano. It's been it's been wild. It's awful, but it's it, you got to watch it. It's a, oh, you got to help me out with this one. Then Pitch Force Moratory is going to be amazing next oh, week. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But that's next week. This week we have a penultimate issue, and uh, this is going to be a toughie. This is going to be a yeah, toughie because uh, this is Strike Force Moratory number 19, June 1988 cover date. Story is called The Sun is But a Morning Star. Writer Peter B. Gillis. Pencils Brent E. Anderson. Both in their penultimate appearance. Uh, Next week is it for them. Yikes. What, completely the end? Completely the end? Peter and Brent leave after next issue. Holy snap. Yeah, we've got us uh, some wild rides ahead of us. Uh, It's the (laughs) end of the world as we know it. 
we don't feel fine. Uh, <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> sorry, Mr. Hudnall, but uh, okay. Now, inks, Scott Williams. Lead is Phil Felix. Cull is Christy Scheel. Edits, Carl Potts. The Cheese, Tom DeFalco, who's billed as the editor asleep, which, no kidding. Hey, um, it totally makes sense. It does. Finally, his narcolepsy. <laughs> that was the whole reason. <laughs> yep. I hope he didn't fall asleep with a cigar in his mouth. Um, <laughs> cover price, $1 USD, 125 Canadian, and... Praise B in the UK, you're back down to 40 Ps. What a what? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why you had that uh, that 10 P upgrade last time. You're back down to 40 Ps, so that's less Ps in your pocket. It's all good, or more <laughs> Ps left in your pocket, I guess. They went uh, around saying, "We can't uh, charge him an extra 10 P. It's madness. It's giggly wiggly." <laughs> don't 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 you know Peter's leaving? Don't you know Peter's leaving? <laughs> Oh, they had to no. lower the price. So, and with that, we just lost our three UK listeners. <laughs> it's, or, or maybe we found some Australians because I don't know what accent <laughs> I just did. Um, I love it. That's great. <laughs> now, the release date for this issue February 2nd, 1988. Um, the cover uh, it's yeah. a uh, all right, I guess it's uh, we got a primal looking hordesman who's pinned scaredy cat down in the brush. There's like an ethereal looking Bert Convy in the background <laughs> holding his hand out. Bert we'll Convy, yeah. <laughs> I, right, I don't know how else to explain him. The win, loser, draw. He's ready. <laughs> or uh, whatever that one was where the where the husband and wife would uh, was that like Tattletales or something? <laughs> oh <laughs> yes, yes, it was. <laughs> oh. oh. Bert Convy uh, resembled Bob Ross several times with that. Like he That's he right. wrote. Yeah, he rotated the fro in and out. He was like the froiest white man that ever hit the airwaves. <laughs> he was. Now, the uh, solicitation here will spoil the story, so we're not going to say it here. Um, I mean, it's going to spoil something that's on, like, the second page. But still, yeah. we want to get there. We want this to go organically here. Now, as we open the issue, our story opens in Carmel, California, downtown. And uh, it's a beautiful day, and it's a very beautiful day to visit De Los Rios Comics and Toys. Woo-hoo! And it's here where we finally catch up with Aileen. Now, what is she doing in a comic book shop? What do you think? Hmm, she's probably uh, she's probably buying the New Universe stuff. Probably. <laughs> One would hope. I think Shooter, they're intentionally not having her buy it. I'd say, you know what? The only the only comic book that these people have ever seen is The Last Stand of the Black Watch. So maybe <laughs> she's, she's trying to go back right. to find issue number two. She's like, did the second one come out? No, <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. The, the, the artists are growing roses. You know, it's uh, it's taking a while. Um, now, she checks in with Senor de la Rios uh, because she needs some recording blanks. Wow. And uh, we figure this is probably not unlike blank VHS tapes, just a little bit more futury. Man, I don't know about you, but I went through mountains, and I would not be lying when I say mountains of blank VHS tapes. I every week, I, especially when I got my own job, I would literally go through an eight pack every single week, just recording everything that you know I thought I would watch again. Half of it, sure, I never would again. Uh, how about sure. yourself? What was your? Oh, uh, what did you record when you grew up? Oh man, I, uh, I I'm very much the same way. I I always thought there'd be things. It, it's just. I think it's like a weird, like collecting slash hoarding sort of thing. Um, it is, yes. 
just like I, I buy all these comics I'll never have time to read, uh, I, I would just tape stuff constantly, and uh, it could be it could be any any pro wrestling, you know. Uh, yes, sir. Like, Perfect. Like we uh, we had the MSG network back in New York, and uh, oh, you lucky bastard! Oh, dude, yeah. And on that, you could catch uh, like ECW, the original run, of, like at 2 a.m. on Friday night, Saturday morning. So I tape that. Even if I was watching it, I would still tape it. Um, I would tape like WCW Prime. Me which, too. With with Dusty Rhodes and the Moo Match of the Week. I mean, just so many <laughs> stupid things that I would. He's tape coming on. here. He's got a plunder, baby. This is the Moo Match of the Week, baby. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> so much stuff. Um, I would tape. Uh, I t- I had like four or five tapes full of the kids in the hall. Um, oh, look at you go, Canadian content. That that's my Canadian pride right there. Yeah. I just really anything. And I have, I told the story on a different show about my, uh, my Laurel and Hardy binge uh, week where I taped something like 40 hours straight of Laurel and Hardy and the power went out during the last five hours of it. (laughs) Man, uh, I I, I tell you what, the big, the big fear and the whole reason we had to do that was we didn't have on demand back in the day. There was no no. such thing in 1988, man. You didn't know if you'd ever see this stuff again. Ever. Yeah. our TV guides, our TV guides only went up one week. Like we didn't know what was coming the next month. We had no mm-hmm. idea when we were going to see a movie, television show, or anything. So my stuff that I used to record, Saturday mm-hmm. morning cartoons, anything that I would sure. like, like Droids Power Hour, Droids Ewoks Power Hour, loved it. Dungeons and Dragons, I loved it. Alvin mm-hmm. and the Chipmunks, Smurfs, you name it, I blew through that stuff. WWF Superstars of Wrestling. Oh yeah absolutely was awesome and they also used to have uh what was the secondary show in the u.s challenge challenge okay so challenge in canada was called cavalcade for some reason and i don't know why i guess the the rights was at you was it a usa network no no that was uh it was it was syndicated but uh, i think i think even wwe lost the rights to wrestling challenge at this point well, we had Cavalcade, and it was interesting because they had it edited specifically for Canada. So all the interviews mm-hmm. that you would see in your market were done in Canadian. So they would have Billy Red Lions doing, don't you dare miss it. We got the magnificent Morocco taking on blah, 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 right in, in, in uh, you know, Toronto, Canada. So, I mean, it was it was really weird stuff, Canadian content. But, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so Saturday morning cartoons, you had WWF Wrestling. I mean, I was checking out, like, stuff like A-Team, Knight Rider, all that stuff I recorded. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, anything, because I, did I ever watch it again? Probably not. Now, Saturday morning cartoons, I certainly did. And of course, WWE wrestling, I might watch that three times in one weekend. No question. (laughs) Even though it was on probably 500 times, but that's it. I remember, uh, taping, and this is like going into like the late nineties. Uh, I really got into public access TV. Yes, sir. Like that is like the weird, I mean, we have YouTube now, so it's kind of hard to really, you know, really just put ourselves in like the gestalt of the day back then where it's just like you didn't see like that weird stuff you didn't see just into somebody's living room like we do now and uh when you watch public access television you didn't know what you were gonna and it wasn't regulated so like they were dropping f-bombs there was there was sometimes nudity i mean (laughs) just on like new york public access like the weirdest stuff you'd ever want to or not want to see uh, you could probably find some of that stuff on YouTube if you like Google you know, or just search for, you know, old public access or New York public access. You'll see some crazy stuff. But I got really into that. 
Um, I remember taping uh, Twin Peaks off of Bravo. Yes, when they sir. Were doing Perfect. Repeats of that. Um, boy, uh, we had an educational channel that I would tape stuff <laughs> off of because it was there was a there was like a four hour block in the middle of the day where it was all about learning different languages. So like you'd have like French in action, connect with English, which was like for uh, Spanish speakers <laughs> trying to learn English. They'd be like uh, like Benvenuto's or something like that for either Spanish or Italian. And I would tape these things because it helped me fall asleep. And uh, <laughs> wow. So I, and I would tape, you know, in in SLP or EP mode because <laughs> I had to get all eight hours of the tape if I could. Um, and I, uh, and I would just tape through these like weird, you know, connect with English so I could fall asleep to it. Cause I always, I've always had a problem falling asleep and, so uh, good. so you yeah, were so subconsciously learning other languages. You'd think you'd hope, but I, I, I don't know. I, I know less, I know, I know, I, I, that, that, that I know less English now than I did before. <laughs> it's a uh, pretty wild stuff, but, uh, have you ever, I mean, talking about, you know, the, the length and the distance of a tape, you know, you could do the EP mode to get, if it's an eight hour tape, you could get up to eight hours. Did you ever have a situation where you were running out of tape or you feared you were running out of tape? Man. So it was Hulk Hogan versus Andre, the giant, the main event on Saturday. Okay. Yes. And I don't know even, was it on Saturday night? It it might've been, it was in prime time anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, I had, I thought, I had no idea exactly how much. I know that I had thought I had about two hours left. Mm-hmm. And holy crap! Right at the the double ed, the double referees, when when the when it was revealed that the two Hebners were started uh, rewinding, it stopped and started oh. rewinding. I almost perished, dude. Did not know what to do. So I just sat there and, and I was fumbling with the videotape instead of watching the stupid show. Yep. And this was Hulk Hogan losing the belt. Oh. Oh, and that's man. my memories of that stuff. Fumbling with a tape. Mine mine was a near miss here because, I, I, you know, if anybody knows me in real life, I'm very, very anal and meticulous about a lot of things. And I knew exactly like I could look at the tape and I could know about how much time was left on it, like just through the little window, just because I'd done it for years. You know, I was taping I taped every bit of wrestling that was on TV from like 1990 to 90, 1990 to 2000 about just yeah me too every me inch too. of wrestling and uh there was an episode of raw that had an overrun that i was not accounting for and it was when uh it was the match the the main event was bret hart and sid in a cage in 1997 oh, was this and, the uh, infamous uh yes. bret blow up Yes. Oh, so frustrated is not loses. the goddamn word for it. Oh, and he starts cursing. He goes on that this rant. That was so good. Dude, and it, and it ran like 10 minutes over, and the whole time I'm watching it, I'm clenched because I'm just waiting for, like, the click and the ver of the rewind. <laughs> but uh, it was crazy because it, it went off the air, and, like, two seconds later, click. <laughs> so it was perfect. Oh, that is so good. Everyone <laughs> in the back screwed me. <laughs> yes, my brother Owen, a big rhino, a big no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh but, my! But one one thing about uh, you know VHS tapes here before we move on here, uh, we I I think we hinted at this a while ago, but I don't think we named the actual collection, the Marion Stokes collection. Ah yes, it's uh, 
oh man, it's 71,716 VHS tapes. Holy snap. She had to rent out apartments for her VHS collection. <laughs> These are, th- this is all being digitized on archive.org right now. It's costing $2 million to digitize this. Um, and th- these are tapes from 1977 all the way up through 2012. <laughs> yes! 70, almost 72,000 VHS tapes. And I mean, I couldn't find out how many hours that was because, you know, VHS tapes, they, they vary. Yeah, they so vary, far. yeah. But I mean, this could be, boy, you know, like half a million hours of well, 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 you're thinking, you're talking 1977 was the start of it. So you're talking about Betamax with like, Betas, a, two, yeah. with like a two hour to one hour capacity max sure. on some of those things. So, sure, man, now, that is a, cr- <laughs> now, <laughs> that lady's a crackhead. Now, her deal is that she has its 24-7 coverage of mostly news that she taped on eight VCRs staged around her house because uh, she was afraid that news was going to be lost. So this is kind of like a sad, like a very sad hoarding situation here that she devoted her life to. And uh, I just couldn't imagine. She had to rent out apartments to store tapes. Oh my God! Can you imagine the bill alone to keep that going? Dude, yeah, and just having having like eight TVs running at once here—it's like that's like stuff out of like a out of like a scary story, you know? Oh that's, my God! Uh, well, think about it. When when tight when um, VHS tapes popularized, mm-hmm. you know, stores caught on to the fact that people were you know taping everything off, and the price on a VHS tape just went through the roof. Yeah, they weren't cheap. They no man, cheap like they were toward like the late nineties and into the two thousands. At first, I mean, boy, that that's an investment. And she oh, wasn't yeah. taping over anything. She was taping everything once and storing it. Holy Marion Stokes, you Marian are Stokes. Thank you, Marion Stokes. First of all, yes. and uh, you you should be institutionalized. Thank you. <laughs> well, she passed. She passed in twenty twelve. Uh, that's oh. that's when the uh, that's when this collection was uh, was turned over to whoever it was turned over to and. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, I, as far as I know, it's still in the process of digit, being digitalized here or digitized. And uh, oh, man, yeah, it's a lot of film. Was, <laughs> was, of she, was she still recording at that point? <laughs> yeah, before she passed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So up until, Holy crap. Up until she but I, I guess she was Ooh. like uh, involved in television back in the 60s for like some sort of like a panel show. Um, but I mean, that's just wild stuff here. Uh, I couldn't imagine Man. that kind of a thing here. And uh, I, I couldn't imagine, like, because I, I look at, like, my collections. You know, I am I am a collector of collections, basically, with all the stuff. And so were you. I mean. Absolutely. Like, if anything were to happen to me, I don't know what my wife would do with all, all of my crap. Oh, I know, I know, I know what my wife would do. <laughs> there would be 75 large black garbage bags placed on a curb. <laughs> free to a good home or the dump uh, <laughs> but uh yeah I, c- I couldn't imagine you know 72,000 vhs tapes if, if I, after i passed like i might have like 500 you know yeah yeah Listen, right now. I, honestly uh, yeah i have about yeah five or six hundred tapes probably yeah. is, is about accurate for me too and that, and that's a lot when that's you put 
It is. Now, right after this, I've actually found a tub. Now, these are not recorded ones, but I found a giant container of old WWF VHS tapes. So I'll take a a quick snap of that for you and pop that on the Twitter right after this one. Very cool. Very cool. Now, back to the story here. Uh, We are inside the De Los Rios uh, comic shop here, and it is worth noting that the inside of this shop is just crammed full of Strike Force Moratory merchandise. I mean, they got toys, play sets, those hollows, you know, the the, the films, uh, audio books. It's like if you're a fan of the Moratory in on Earth, you know, Marvel Earth 1287 or whatever this is, this is like your Nirvana here. This is uh, some pretty great stuff. Now, uh, after she gets her blanks, we follow Aileen home and we learn that she's been living with <gasps> Guy Harding. Faux uh, Louie. Yeah, he is, of course, fake Louie. He played Louie in those uh, soap operas. And uh, she interrupts a, his dip in the pool, and they stop and have a little bit of a chat. Um, as, as you might recall, Aileen is pregnant. She is still pregnant and is now showing. And uh, it's alluded here that Guy is the baby daddy, though uh, n- neither of us are Mori Povich, so we wouldn't swear to it. Um, <laughs> we don't have any testing kits. Uh, now, Aileen and Guy, they're talking about their plans for the baby. Now, Aileen, of course, since she's a moratory, is very likely to die before giving birth. And if they take her to a hospital to have the baby delivered early and then kept in incubation, that'd more or less just be like Aileen turning herself into the Padilla. Absolutely. Who, who at this point, they view her as a traitor for going AWOL, and uh, they will also probably perform nonstop experiments on the moratory tot that she births. All of which they should have mentioned in the last two issues. Because this girl completely disappeared. She vanished. Yeah, because I think it was like three issues ago, they just mentioned her on like a panel. It's like, oh, she ran away. Yeah, would you not have like two to three panels where the Pidea is discussing a moratory on the run? Like just even throw that in there? But no. Nope. Nope. Aileen disappeared to be forgotten forever. (laughs) Now, here we get the issue of her unborn child's mortality, which I hadn't thought about yet. Uh, Is the baby, if, if if she does pass on this moratory gene to the baby... Will it be superpowered? Will it die within a year? I mean, we don't know anything, but it's it's some interesting food for thought. Oh, it definitely is. And of course, we're seeing it again. Sign of the Times, 1988. Mm-hmm. And boy, the whole pro-life, pro-choice debate was blowing up. I'm telling you now. It was all over the news. It was everywhere you look. It was in music. And of course, I brought it up before with Madonna and her, Papa, don't preach. Obviously, mm-hmm. that was everywhere. Uh, I mean, just making the rounds. And clearly... This discussion was making the rounds at Marvel offices as, as well because it made it to this issue. So, you know, mm-hmm. trying to be a little timely here, you can really tell. So it works, though. It, it keeps it me interested. And I actually do wonder, you know, what is to become of Baby Moratory? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, we don't get our answer yet because we first shift scenes to the Super Train. Oh, where, yeah. Uh, <laughs> where Scaddy Cat is having herself a little spiritual ritual. Uh, We haven't seen her do anything like this before, but she is knelt before a small table with a ceremonial-looking cloth and a candle on it. And uh, she reflects a little bit on what Will told her last issue, you know, that she's next. You know, she will be the next Moratory to die. And, <laughs> that was uh, brutal. So yes. so that that was told to her in the throes of passion. In the throes the of passion. Yes. yes she was so trying I... to she was trying to, you know, give him a tonsillectomy with her tongue and uh <laughs> And he's oh. like, no, no, you're about to die. 
Uh, I'll, 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 I'll challenge our listeners today. So, so here's what we'll do. So next time you're in the throes of passion, I want you to say <laughs> to your significant other that they will be dead uh, this week. Yes. So and, and see see how that works out and how your your rendezvous continues. So just yeah. keep us posted and let us know on the Twitter. <laughs> and, and and we're not responsible for your bail for sure. No. Uh, <laughs> now, now just like last issue, uh, you know, Pilar here she reflects on it and she still really has no problem with it. And in fact, her only regret is that she doesn't have very many regrets. So she hasn't made very many uh, no bad decisions in her life. Maybe she hasn't lived to the fullest. Uh, maybe she's thinking that she missed out on some opportunities. Um, now, she thinks a bit more about Will. And uh, we learn here that the ending of last issue did, in fact, have him shutting down his mind. Uh, we, it was kind of nebulous in the way it was last issue. But now we know. Ah, I actually got that right. You Woo! did. You did. 100%. All right. All right. I did <laughs> not peek. I guarantee you I did not. <laughs> now, she also thinks that her fellow moratory who have already passed on, and uh, now she's kind of looking forward to seeing them again on the, you know, on the other side. Uh, she thinks about Jaylene, and she laughs a little bit, because remember, Jaylene is a devout Christian, and she wonders, uh, you know, has J- is Jaylene, like, really surprised at the afterlife, what it really is? Because, uh... You know, she thinks it's something a whole lot different than what Jaylene was expecting. Um, now, this ritual is interrupted by Foe Harold, who informs Pilar that it's time to take roll. Now, mm. she's, she zips out of the room, perhaps even before he can see her little candle and table set up, and uh, they race to the morning meeting. I, 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 the impression I got here is that she didn't want him to see her spiritual side. Yeah, uh, oh yeah. Well, we didn't we didn't see it before either. So us as listeners have never been seen yeah. this whole side of Pilar. So we know that she had conversations with Jaylene concerning the afterlife and different things like that. Mm-hmm. But we never ever got into what brought her to the table. What is yeah. her morals? What are her values? But and it's kind of cool we get to see it here, but uh, possibly a little too late. Yeah, perhaps. Um, we zip to another part of the super train where Commander Yuri is chatting up Sheer. Now, we learn here that Dr. Talima, after deleting the Moratory database last issue, has gone missing. So he's gone. Uh, All of Talima's responsibilities have therefore fallen to Yuri, who in turn doesn't have quite enough time to deal with all of his regular duties. And so, now now's the time that he needs there to be a field leader for the Strike Force. And he's chosen Sheer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what are you gonna do? Well, it's 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 one of those things, man. Like like if you were ever a manager or a leader or something and all that stuff, and you have a limited amount of options to uh, <laughs> to push somebody, and you're looking at the talent pool, and you've got this wonderful job coming up, and you're looking out, and you're going, none of these guys are suited, <laughs> but I'm gonna give it to Barry with the one eye and the broken leg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because he happened to be there when the discussion came up. <laughs> he, he had perfect attendance last week, so we, we got it. Uh, <laughs> now, Sheer, upon hearing this, turns Yuri down. He doesn't want any part of no leadership role, and he suggests Yuri offer it to Hardcase, you know, the West Point graduate, instead. From here, Sheer goes off on a rant about how the Padilla treated his family while he was growing up. He was a Turk growing up in Germany and was treated like a second-class citizen from the, by the Padilla. And uh, Sheer goes on to tell Yuri that, hey, I don't work for you. I don't work for the Padilla. The only people I work for are the people of Earth. 
And uh, Yuri understands, but uh, he makes sure that Sheer knows that who is giving the orders here. You know, it's like, hey, it's like, I won't ask you again, but uh, you know I'm in charge, right? Now, now a little bit of thing about consistency with character here. Uh, when you really break it down, you look at how G3 was presented in the mm-hmm. past few issues. So they were pro-Pidea. So they would not question any of the Pidea's things, even yep. Sheer himself. This is the first time that I've seen him literally act out. So it really goes against everything we've known about these characters right away and literally flies in the face of everything we've known about Sheer up to this point as well. I mean, you know, we've known that he was a Turk and different things like that, but this is the first time where he blatantly disregards the Paidea. Let's think yeah. about it. Think about last issue when, you know, G1 and or the G2 was going off about, you know, uh, Dr. Tulima and, you know, the Paidea and they were, you know, second guessing, you know, Strike Force and the whole the whole situation of what they were doing with the Moratory Monster. And, you know, Sheer came to their aid. But now here he's jumping on the bandwagon. He's not having any of it. And all of a sudden he's this rebel. I mean, it seems a little bit off character. Now, I will say I do like this a lot more because now we can finally get behind some of these characters in G3. So it seems like they're trying to warm us up to these folks. Yeah, yeah, we can have a little bit of sympathy with them now and we can sort of identify with them a little bit rather than just being like almost ciphers, you know, just uh, empty characters. Uh, now, we jump to the main room here, and this is where Moratory Roll Call is taken. They all introduce themselves like they're the Mouseketeers, and uh, Yuri informs them that he has chosen a field leader for the Strike Force, and it's Sheer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, he's like, I won't ask you again, but I'm going to do what I'm going to make it in the boss. Uh, Sheer is ticked off, uh, but... As uh, we heard just a few minutes ago, orders is orders, and uh, he knows who's in charge, and he can't really uh, second-guess him. Uh, Yuri, at this point, gives the team their next mission, and it's in Africa. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, in space, the gentle inquirer says a whole bunch of unreadable stuff. I mean, the horde dialogue here is oh. awful. It is the dirt worst that I've ever seen, this te- this font. It is and so bad. You remember- do you remember the last time that we spoke about Hordian language? Mm. And we, we, we mentioned that it fluctuates from issue to issue. Like, whoever's doing the lettering, which I believe has been fairly consistent, has it not? Yes. Oh, yeah. I think it's been uh, Phil Felix, I believe, the whole time. Yeah. So how does Phil Felix, you know, do uh, the Hordian language in, a, you know, six or seven different ways? And here it is completely, you know, unreadable, like it's you said. illegible. I, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, but it's here that he says a whole bunch of stuff that we don't understand, um, and he's inaugurated as the Horde's new warlord. Oh, man, I love this. And what's beautiful about this is that we're getting to know more and more about the Horde. So the journey of the gentle inquirer, man, through all mm-hmm. the issues, this is a great story. So, yeah. you know, he's the one Hordian who right now has, like, legit character development. And, you know, he had this whole sinister plot where he was going to take over leadership. And, you know, he did it by simply waiting it out and, yeah. just, like, let, letting the Horde implode. Like, it was very calculated and cold, man. This guy's, like, the perfect villain. I really, really dig the gentle inquirer character. Yeah, me too. Me too. He's uh, yeah, he's very, very smart. Like, and like you said here, very calculated. Um, uh, what was it? A couple of issues ago where uh, he let Thunder Crush smack him in the face and then yes. he kind of like smirked. He's like, hey, hey. like he's building him up to, to pop. And, and it's exactly what happened. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Now we, we head out to Africa. So we're on the way to Africa here and the Strike Force has a little bit of an opportunity to chat. Uh, Scaredy Cat and Bravo, they talk about the stars. And uh, we learn here that Brava was an astronomer before the Horde struck Earth. 
Now th- think about this. How good of a job did she do as an, instru- an astronomer if uh, <laughs> she didn't notice that there was an alien invasion coming? Let's be clear right. here. If all you do is look at the stars, you think you would have seen some motherships, would you not? <laughs> Man. Maybe the the telescope was uh was it was they they forgot to take the uh, the cap off of it or something. It's a or it was one of those that has like the uh, God what were those uh what were those things that used to put like those discs with the film and you used to put them in like the reader and you'd click it and it would just turn to be a new picture. Oh yeah um, yeah like oh what ViewMaster. Yes maybe <laughs> that's what her telescope was just a ViewMaster. I love uh, it. Now, uh, Pilar and Brava, they have a little bit of a disagreement here over whether or not stars are romantic. Pilar thinks that they happen to be very romantic, and Dom knows that stars are just big old balls of fire. So, (laughs) agree to disagree. Now, we hop back to Carmel, California here, and Aileen is watching a news report where she learns that a man in Dallas exploded. Yeah. And uh, he took 35 people with him. Turns out that the horde kidnapped the man, anesthetized him, and planted a bomb inside his chest. Now this is more like the horde we love, we know and hate, brother, I guarantee you. I mean, think about it. We were talking about how the horde have just been dispatched easily by the moratorium, like the last, like several issues. Like Mm -hmm. they haven't been doing their crazy stuff. If you read the first maybe six or seven issues of of Strike Force Moratorium, you'd know that the the horde committed like incredible acts of human cruelty. You know what I mean? Just slicing people's heads off, putting them in capsules with pain Mm -hmm. sensors, just like blowing them up, setting them down from space (laughs) and just letting them explode over the top of Earth. And we lost that for the longest time in this book. But it looks like they are back in action here. But my thought was, could this be the first act of the Gentle Inquirer? Could be. It could very well be, yeah. Well, if if it is, more of this, please. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Now, they actually get some uh, a person from uh, a hordesman on tv you know uh giving Ooh. a warning here saying uh you know they're gonna keep doing this they're gonna keep taking people planting bombs in their chest as long as the strike force keeps attacking them yes yeah, so this feels like they're actually you know they're done reacting they're gonna put yeah. themselves in the driver's seat for once in this war so that's good because like i said the horde have been struggling to defeat the moratorium in the last issue and this <laughs> this is more of a you know leave us the hell alone tactic you know what i mean Mm-hmm. If you guys don't stop beating us up, we're really going to kill people. <laughs> you just wait. Yeah. You, we, got, we got plenty of bombs. We do. Uh, now, seeing this on the news really freaks Aileen out. And uh, she wonders here if she'd done the right thing in running away. And she considers for a minute turning herself over to the Padilla, which, uh, you know, she's hooked up to a machine right now because, of you know, she's pregnant and they're, they're planning bring this child sometime soon we can see here that this causes her vitals to start just violently fluctuating all over the place here possibly endangering the child and maybe even herself as well um Hmm. and also i mean she does have the moratorium in her so who knows you know this could be a uh this could be a reaction she might we just seeing this we don't know what it is basically a little scary Um, it is it is and uh from here we hop over to the serengeti and the plains are full of wildlife, the result of cloning, apparently, as uh, many of these species are long extinct. And these are normal, everyday animals that are not yet extinct on, you know, our Earth. But, uh, I mean, this isn't dinosaurs running around. This is, you know, no. you know rhino, rhinos and tigers and stuff. 
it's pretty cool because this is yet another aspect because I mean we really don't know what the uh you know what the earth looked like right after the horde invaded like I mean yeah. what did they destroy did they kill all the animals did they kill the plant life you know and it seems like they had to regenerate all the animal life through cloning so just to keep that base alive in the food chain, they actually had to clone, which is kind of cool and probably well thought out, a really good plot point. I don't mm -hmm. know if that was one of the first things that I would think of if I was doing an alien invasion story. But, you know, it, it made me think, like, if I was going to clone something, what would you clone? I mean, my first thought is it would definitely be cows because, you know, <laughs> a world without beef. And let me, uh, you know, I'll be tired and feathered by PETA after this, but a world without beef just sucks. That's all. And, and of course, like you brought up dinosaurs, but uh, I think uh, bringing back the dinosaurs dinosaurs for uh, for a rundown i think uh, some darwinism needs to happen some people so you know uh, a t-rex <laughs> in a, a t-rex in a particular place would not hurt in 2020 i guarantee you <laughs> just uh, be careful when you're sitting in a porta potty or something that's <laughs> I, I think that's the only scene from jurassic park i know of. Yeah, but... <laughs> a, a dinosaur hasn't <laughs> has invaded trump tower i don't know what's happening anyway move on <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what i would clone if i if i had the opportunity um Maybe just myself. I don't know. <laughs> oh, look at you. That's perfect. You beast you. <laughs> I mean, as if I don't have enough free time on my hands for the moment, you know. What what I segment can, can... would you give yourself on Claremont to Claremont? <laughs> <laughs> or wait a second. Maybe maybe you're trying to maybe you're trying to replace me here on Moratory Mondays with yourself. This is brilliant. That, that could be that could be a very uh, very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine two people with the exact same voice doing a show? <laughs> you are the gentle inquirer in sheepskin, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> now, from here, we have Ruth taking a look at the monitor here, and uh, she finds a small tribe of hordesmen hunting the newly cloned animals. So it's like, ah, we brought the, the animals back, and they're going to kill them anyway. Uh, Pilar taps Ruth on the sh shoulder, which sends a blast of fear into her. Hmm. So... Pilar apologizes, claiming it just slipped out. We see Brava in the background seeing this all go down, and she wonders if maybe this might be one of those pre-death power surges coming from Scaredy Cat. We've seen them before, yeah. where, uh, you know, when someone is just about to buy the farm in uh, the Moratory world here, their powers get a little strong. Now, uh, Backhand decides to put together a plan for attack, and it's uh, basically the same one from the plastics plant in the desert a few issues ago, <laughs> which is to say Silencer and Scaredy Cat will take the lead and the rest will, uh, I don't know, count to 10 and then rush in anyway. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. Now, Sheer, the field leader, co-signs this plan and it's put into place. Uh, Sheer becoming the de facto leader. I mean, it's, it is interesting because he's been, you know, he's been slaying people left, and right, moratory included. So, you know, it's maybe true. it was, if you had to pick between these folks to be, you know, who are you going to put in charge? Why not Sheer, I guess, in the end of the day. And, uh, think about it. There hasn't really been an official strike force moratory leader since maybe Viking Harold yeah. Everson. You know, I mean, sure. someone can someone can argue that, you know, uh, Marathon, Robert, uh, you know, was in charge for a little while and Toxin sort of had to take the reins because basically nobody else she was, wanted it. Yeah, she yeah. was leading a a, a, uh, a class in Neanderthals through a Hordean invasion. <laughs> she had no choice but take over or be killed. So it's interesting. Sheer is a leader. Well, you know, CrossFit it is. There you go. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, on the ground, uh, one of the Hordesmen hunts a rhino and uh, 
chops its head off for no good reason. Oh, Jesus. They are upping their Hordean game in this book, I guarantee you. <laughs> There's like a drive, definitely a, a purposeful drive to dehumanize them and villainize them again. Because, you know, we had gone soft on the Horde there for a little while. Yeah. And uh, honestly, it's great to see this. They're they're back to their heelish ways, and I love it. For sure, yeah. They're really up in the stakes here. It's good stuff. Um, we see in the tall grass, Silencer and Scaredy Cat, they're, they're staking out this scene. Silencer is keeping her movements uh, silent. You know, they're, they're, she's keeping their movements, you know, Horde can't hear them. But she does notice that Pilar is starting to shake a little bit. Uh-oh. Now, yeah, so Akia notices this, and she momentarily shuts down her noise-dampening powers in order to ask Pilar if everything's okay. And this is all it takes for the Horde to realize they're being watched. Uh. And, uh, and so Silencer is shot. It's not a fatal blow, however, because Scaredy Cat was able to yank her mostly out of harm's way. I honestly thought Silencer was being taken out early, and uh, yeah. you know, but it was it was not meant to be because uh, she will live to silence another day, Christopher. She lives <laughs> it's on. It's true. It's true. But first, back in Carmel, Aileen is still freaking out. Uh, Guy promises her he'll do everything within his power to keep their baby away from the Padilla. Aileen is not too confident in Harding's abilities, and frankly, we do not blame her. What's amazing about this is that even though we lost, like, Harold and Louie, technically, they're still with us in backhand yep. and Guy Harding because, you know, we literally have faux Harold, and now we have faux Louie. Now, that's just plain weird. I mean, you're killing mm-hmm. people, but here you got their instant replacements. You know what this is like? This is like the Dukes of Hazard where they replaced them with their, uh, with their cheap cousins. <laughs> Van- these are these are like Vance and Coy here. <laughs> I wonder how like the soap opera did they deal with Louis's death? Is he still on the show? Have they not killed off Harold? Like I'd like to know where the 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 actual soap opera is going to head here. So you got to yeah, because I mean I mean ha- fake Harold is part of the real team now. So you got to wonder if they did just kill Harold in the in the Hollow film or whatever the soap. Yeah, yeah that is interesting, and uh, I wonder if uh if old Guy Harding was uh, outed as a traitor on the uh, oh. soap opera and if that hurt his perf- hurt his future uh, billings you know <laughs> oh that'd be interesting that'd be a great spin to see how it hit it hurt their cash when a moratorium mm-hmm. actually died that's cool absolutely awesome. and we'll find we may we may spin a couple of these yarns next week on strike force moratory the soap opera mm-hmm. now back in africa a trio of hordesmen one of them wearing a mickey mouse ears uh there they find pilar and akia and uh, the latter of course has been downed by the blast uh, the Horde goes to call in backup, but before they can do that, the rest of the Strike Force descends upon them. A fight is on. Now, all the while here, this is, you know, the Moratory and the Horde, they're fighting. Pilar is sort of curled up in the fetal position, and she's shaking. Uh. Mm, but then she gets up and she lunges directly for a Hordesman, shouting, I regret nothing. Now, Pilar has taken so long to build, and I just like, you know what, I like pretty well everything about her at this point. Yeah. She's got a, like a, I don't know, like a unique, non-traditional look. You know, it's not a typical superhero look, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is one of the strengths of the book overall. But, you know, she's strong, you know, just magical. She's going for broke on the horde here, and she's just great characterization, man. She's gotten from like this naive teenager, and now she's like a hardened warrior at this point. I just love this. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a real, real uh, dramatic shift for her. It's a, it's a maturation for her. It's really cool stuff. Um, but first, we jump back to Carmel. Uh, Guy <laughs> Harding gets an unexpected knock at the door, and it's Doctor Chemo Tulima. 
Kimo. Kimo. He's here to save Aileen's unborn baby. Now, after being reunited with uh, one of his first students, you know, Aileen, uh, Kimo gives Guy a list of some very expensive things that he's going to need in order to incubate <laughs> this child. <laughs> I love it. Now, Aileen was the first Moratori after the Black Watch, right? Because she was ahead of everybody when we started this, yep. I believe, right? Yeah, because uh, right. like, yeah, she's the one who told Harold about, the, about the, 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 the truth of the Black Watch and all that stuff. Now, uh, we do jump back to Africa here, and this is where we wrap up our story. The battle is over. The Moratori are victorious. But there is no time to celebrate, however, because it looks like time is up. For Pilar. Ah, yeah, she lays on the cool, ground. Man. I know it. She's laying there on the ground. She's got a peaceful look on her face. Uh, yeah, she says she has no regrets, and uh, it, it shows on her face. From here, though, we move into like a really weird ethereal state. Everything goes white. The, the, there's no color on the panels anymore. Actually, the panels don't even have borders anymore. And uh, Pilar is greeted by. Bert Convy, uh, this guy. <laughs> I, we don't. Do, you know do we know who this I, guy is? It looks like a spiritual leader of some sort. So you know, he's basically guiding her. Comes. So comes definitely just, Bert Convy. Yeah, definitely Bert Convy. Yes. <laughs> he wants to play another game. I don't know what's happening here, but I, I think I think it's like a spiritual guide, a spiritual leader, like a head of a church, a type of thing. You know, mm-hmm. trying to lead her through like an evangelist type thing. And uh, leading her into the unknown and, you know, just take my hand and, you know, trust me and we'll go forward into the light type of thing. So yeah. I think that's I, I I wanted to think that it was like, you know, hopefully her father or someone she knew or a lost love or something. But I don't think we've ever discovered anything about that. No. Her to suggest that in the book. So that I'm going like, to go with the spiritual leader. Yeah, because I was thinking I'm because I was thinking maybe it's that guy. But then I realized that it was uh, Ruth that had the. uh the boyfriend. It yes, wasn't exactly. Pilar. So yep. yeah, and we never seen I mean we I think this is the first time we even saw Pilar's room. So it's not like we saw like photos of anybody. So this is just a, a guy who's drawn very, very specifically. I mean he's got a very distinct look. I just can't place him. Especially that last panel. Take a look at that last panel where it shows yeah. his face and the grin. It's all, mm-hmm. you know what? It's almost Jim Shooter esque, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> we maybe uh, we Maybe gotta reach uh, out to uh, Mr. Anderson and find yes. out uh, find out if this is modeled after somebody, or maybe if it just I, went over our heads. I'm just gonna email him and just ask him. I think I think That's he'll answer. Yeah. I think so. I'll find out. So, so this uh this ethereal Bert Convy, he extends his hand here and he tells uh, Pilar. He assures her that her true adventure is just about to begin, and uh, now she's gonna be reunited with Jaylene, Robert, and Beth, and she'll finally get to meet Harold and Lorna. Funny enough, they don't mention Louis or the haberdasher. <laughs> no haberdasher! No haberdasher, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> well, you know what's going to happen. They're, they're going to be dressed very shittily up in heaven for wherever they're going. So, <laughs> Man. They'll be, they'll be wearing the outfits from the first issue? <laughs> oh. Bingo. <laughs> And they also don't mention the black friggin' watch. Oh God, I'm just, I, you know what? I'm just enjoying my time without the black watch at this true, point true. because they were way too much in those first few issues, man. Oh boy, yeah, we've had enough of the black watch. So uh, Pilar, in this ethereal state, she takes the man's head, hand. I'm sorry, hand, not his head, uh, and asks, <laughs> <laughs> she asks him if the afterlife is everything she'd imagined it to be. And uh, this fella gives her a wink and says, nope, (laughs) 
it's completely different. And, Man, uh, like, yeah, and together they uh, they walk into the whiteness of the final page. And this final page is just it, it, the way it was drawn. It's uh, it, it's really awesome the way they did this. Yeah, this was this was a great going away party for Pilar, man. It was it was like emotional and but it wasn't tragic, you know what I no. mean? Like you felt that she had a good ending. She was one of yeah. the few that went out on not not on her own terms and went out in peace. I mean, similar to Jaylene. So, mm-hmm. you know, you you kind of got to dig that. You know, you feel for these characters. You don't want them to go through torture and agony and burn up and so, you know, I I'm I'm pleased if Pilar had to go out with in a certain way, I'm glad it was like this. So, yeah. but it it suggests that there's an afterlife which, you know, Jaylene was touting in the first books and maybe, just maybe, she was uh right at least almost right. We don't know what uh what she found, but uh she found mm-hmm. something. Yeah, for sure. It's a uh, it that I I I like that here where uh where it's like She's told that everything she's believed for her entire life wasn't exactly the case, but still she accepted it and went on. You know, Absolutely. it wasn't like a it wasn't it wasn't the line in the sand that was like, OK, then screw it. <laughs> I'm <Yes>. staying. <laughs> she still trusted uh, Bert Convy enough to uh, to pass on. With, uh, with him. I, I mean, Bert Convy, he I, he could get me to do anything, too, probably. I don't know. But uh, no, Is this was a uh, was it the it hair? Might be, it might be. It might be the in and out fro. Yeah. Oh. But uh, no, this was a uh, God. You know, this is the second to last issue with uh, with Peter and Brent. And uh, I mean, it's just as strong as the first. And uh, I am really bracing for uh, what's to come uh, with I, issue I, 21. I feel that we have the the sword of Damocles hanging over our heads, sir, ready to drop. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we just gotta we just got to uh, appreciate <laughs> what we have today, <laughs> and uh, what we're gonna get next week because uh, that'll be it for these two. That'll be it for our right. creative team, and uh, I it's like we say every week. It's been a long time since we've read this stuff, so I don't remember um, if there was any sort of pomp and circumstance with them leaving, or if it was just another issue. You know, it was just a, a very quiet, you know, shift behind the scenes. I, I don't know. Um, so we could be getting like something that's leading up to a, like a dramatic farewell or it could just be a here's a, you know, issue 20s cliffhanger be, to be to be solved by a totally different creative team. You know, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully know. they uh, hopefully they write themselves out and leave the give themselves a good ending before, uh, you know, decimation comes and the coming of the evil known as Mark Bagley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bagley will be there. Uh, James oh. Hudnall will be there. John Calamy will be there. It's a, uh, oh. it's a, uh, and I and I haven't read anything ahead, but I have flipped through. And oh, it uh, you could have told me that it was a completely different book, no. and uh, I believe. Damn it. it. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's gonna be a time. It's gonna be a time, and I, but I am I'm still glad we're doing it, and I think it'll no, be. Me too. Uh, me too. I think it'll be. It might be a trek into madness for uh, you know a dozen or so weeks, but we'll find out. <laughs> we'll and find with out that together. <laughs> and with the, and with that, I think the process is taking me over. This is my last episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting Damn, to get very I'm, hot. Damn, I'm still here. Damn it. <laughs> I'm just getting very hot right now. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I just I just sent uh, the shiver of fear through this uh, can of seltzer next to me. Oh. Um, <laughs> But uh, that's not all we got for this issue or this episode. We do have a letters page and a very underwhelming one at that. Um, no way. 
Man, yeah, right? at least their one thing is consistent. They always have a terrible letters page. This is great. They, they do. This book is is uh, is ridiculously uh, notorious for bad letters pages here. And uh, the first one we got here, and we're just going to read little bits and pieces. There were no Make Mine Marvels or Make Mine Moratories, so, which kind of sucks because those it are does. always uh, those are always kind of silly. But uh, our first letter comes from Dean from Parts Unknown. And, uh, quote, when the first Strike Force came out, I thought the idea novel, but not worth the money. Oh, my God. Who puts this on their letter page? You're trying to sell a book to somebody, and this is what yeah. you put there. And I, I'd oh. really like to see what was on his pull list back in oh. you know, the winter of 1986. But uh, uh, Planetary and Top Dog. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> now dean finally relented and, and now he really really likes the book uh you know he didn't help the sales of the first several issues but what thanks. are you gonna do? thanks dean yeah thanks pal uh letter two comes from sherv and shaheen jamali also from parts unknown uh they really like the backup gag from issue 13 that you know how peter and brent make and destroy strike force moratory little gag gag reel there um, and then she, they, these folks try to get a no prize because they found a misprint because, uh, when Jaylene was talking to Aileen, she accidentally said Jaylene. Ooh, no, yeah, no the prize. Ed- the editor blows them off. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they're like, they're like, well, Jaylene and Aileen are both, or, or Jaylene is dead now. So you really can't, you know, you can't do anything. So, um, letter three comes from Don in Victorville, California. Now, two things that this uh, fella says. He says, the third generation are, of Mortori are, in my opinion, the best yet. Wow. False. Wow. Don is an idiot. <laughs> and then he says I, that he hopes Peter and Brent never leave the book. <laughs> oh, thanks for cursing that, Donald. <laughs> you put well it done, my friend. <laughs> oh. Our fourth and final letter, letter comes from Beth in Ohio. And uh, she laments the loss of Adept, but really likes the third Jenners. And, uh, and was shocked that the Haberdasher was killed off quite so fast. <laughs> it is interesting because, I mean, you think about Wildcard. He didn't really even get off the ground. I mean, nope. holy cow. You introduce a character. I, I mean, we talked about the classic red shirt before, you know what I mean, with Star mm-hmm. Trek. And, I mean, just getting, and, I mean, literally, Wildcard was our red shirt. I mean, yep. that was literally it, so... Anyway, true, so and, uh, but he but he wore a much thing. more stylish shirt than that. Oh, that <laughs> he wore the <laughs> ultimate shirt, but that's another story. <laughs> but that is our letters page, and it 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 as usual sucked. It was not very good. Um, yes. Yeah, and uh, and and I mean, we get the curse of I hope I hope these guys never leave. Oh uh, man, about, uh, thirty days before they do, but uh, what do you want to do? Thank you so much. Thank you yeah, very much thank for you, that. Don. Now. Uh, we do have bullpen bulletins, but we don't have a quote of the month. Got none. I guess nothing good was said in Marvel Comics this month. <laughs> well done. <laughs> we do get some news items. The first one. Now, this one's funny. The Greater Pittsburgh Office of Promotion reached out to Marvel to find out why they destroyed their fine city during the pit from New Universe. It's because we hated our former editor-in-chief. that's exactly why Marvel were quick to point out that even the people involved in the creation of this book, John Byrne, Mark Ruinwald and Howard Mackey, they were all killed in that attack. 
my god. Why were they being so defensive? I, I don't get it. You know, it's like they're trying to hide something here. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, another item. Marvel is preparing a coffee table book covering their history since the 1930s. Ooh. Mm, one problem with that, they don't have all the materials they need. And so they're reaching out to collectors for some Marvel ephemera, which makes you wonder, like, where Roy Thomas got off to at this point, because he's, he's probably got a lot of it. <laughs> Took it in bags, heaping it with them. <laughs> Our third item, ballots for the Comic Buyer's Guide Fan Awards for 1987 are out. And Marvel would really, really, really love your vote. Oh. They, they want you to vote with your hearts and also with your wallets, because <laughs> the complete ballot is in Marvel Age magazine. Buy two. They're cheap. Oh. Buy three. Why not? This is one of those things. This is a voting system that rigged because nobody was buying Marvel Age, so zero <laughs> votes. Only the bullpens <laughs> voting on this one, folks. No, the rest of the news section is truncated because all it is is information about the CBG Awards. Cool. Again, Marvel would really appreciate your vote. Um, vote early, vote often, but only vote for stuff since Tom DeFalco took over as editor-in-chief. <laughs> Not a chance, you asshat. <laughs> that, 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 and that is that is all the news. Uh, so nobody's changing offices. That's good. Nobody's having babies, which, I mean, take that's, you know, your mileage may vary there. Uh, we don't we don't have editors leaving or being thrown out windows, so that's good, too. Uh, but that does lead us to our profile and probably our nicest profile yet. I know. Uh, like, yeah. I was, I'm stunned. I, I love Jim Selikrup. Yeah, I like this guy. He doesn't come off as a jerk. He doesn't come off as he's above the gimmick of a profile. He seems like he's here to have a good time and uh, genuinely loves what he does. So uh, let's get the skinny on Mr. Selikrup here. He is the editor on Amazing Spider-Man. Marvel Age Magazine, Marvel Tales, Spectacular Spider-Man, Spider-Man Comics Magazine, Web of Spider-Man, What the, hyphen, hyphen, question mark, exclamation point, and an upcoming project sort of in the vein of non-brand ech. Man. Yes, he's a busy dude. Busy yeah. fellow. His past freelance credits include the writer, he was the writer on Spider-Man Super Stories. He wrote that Spider-Man and Power Pack PSA. <laughs> he wrote the A-Team, Transformers, Inhumanoids, Visionaries, Kool-Aid Man, The Quick Bunny, and many, many more. Now, I think the reason why I like this guy, because he basically, you know, did the books that I love growing up, man. A lot mm -hmm. of these books spawn great memories. Spidey Super Stories. Have you ever read those? I've got a few. I've never read them. They're really fun. They're mm -hmm. one and dones. They're like just a simple, they're for younger, younger audience. Like a you know throwback I mean? to yeah. like a Silver Age feel, yeah. But the art is excellent. They did. They do different things. They give Spider-Man a car. They like it, it's it's very kiddish. They don't have like sure. deep storylines or anything like that. But it's a one and done story, man. It's the perfect thing on the spinner rack at that time. I loved them. I would love to have this full collection, man. They were mm. non-canon, didn't really impact anything, man. But they were a joy to read. And then mm. of course the A Team. I love this book, and I always had. It's like one of those things. I didn't even realize there was a third issue to this thing. I always had issue one and two of the A Team. It only mm -hmm. lasted three issues now i don't know if it was intended to be a like a limited series i don't think i'd ever said limited series i think it was supposed to be an ongoing but it only went three issues and i mean a team was mega hot at this time they had the sure. action figure line the tv show mr t was a mega star you know doing the wrestling scene off and on and uh man but anyway i i when i went to a trip in the big city um i was going through some back issue bins and man 
I pulled out A team number three and I stood there and I, there was literally shouts coming out of me like, yes, yes. <laughs> Couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, you swear to God, I had Action Comics number one or something. And these guys are looking at me behind the desk like, oh my God, like it's not even Watchmen. Like, what's happening here? <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I, I, I this this dude has got uh, he's got quite a, a pedigree uh, already does, here. I mean, really good stuff. Um, his current freelance work, nothing. He's a he's yeah. an editor, and I mean, he's got like three hundred books to edit, so I, I, <laughs> I'm not gonna hold it against him. Uh, also, hobbies non-existent. The man has yeah. like three hundred books to edit. We get it. Um, the work he is most proud of is the official Marvel Comics toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. tell me what that is chris what's the official marvel comics toilet paper i, I think i think you called it the uh the, the mad dog ward was it? <laughs> you damn right spider-man <laughs> in the mad dog ward is toilet paper i guarantee you have you ever seen a roll of this stuff i have i have it's weird now, isn't I, it yeah it is strange because it almost like something. tells a story right like, yeah, as you I'm... unroll it, it kind of tells a story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a great way to wipe your ass. This is fantastic. <laughs> now he's, I, uh... I can't wait for the next issue. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> Literally. Um, now, his pet peeves include, and this is, this is actually a very, uh, it's a comic-specific pet peeve, but it's an interesting one here. He doesn't like it when people call other people Marvel zombies. And uh, he actually feels so strongly about this that he writes about it in Marvel Age magazine. Weird. <laughs> so, and I mean, on other shows, on, uh, on from Claremont to Claremont, we talked about our, you know, overall pet peeves during our, you know, pod file segment. Um, you have any comic specific pet peeves oh, that you hell. feel, you know, particularly yes. strong? Okay. Of course hip, I do. Hip. I'm I'm Chris Bailey. I'm full of crap. <laughs> so, I, I like uh, I like people who are too cool to admit that they like certain artists or books back in the day. You know what I mean? Every one of us had our comic journey, man. Every one of us bought the Archie comic, or I bought the Planetary and the Star <laughs> comics. And you know, I have a lot. I bought Sonic Disruptors, for example. No, I didn't like that, and I can still not like it to this day. But think about the people who are in 2020 right now saying that they cannot stand Rob Liefeld or oh, yeah. Todd McFarlane. Yet they were the first ones in the comic book store you know what i mean sure. buying this stuff and boxes of it maybe they got like back loads of x-force number one or spider-man number one in their basement right now and tell <laughs> me they didn't love these guys back in the day i completely disagree man oh yeah when they like i get that people's tastes change but uh, the, we have this like kind of haughty sort of uh like tone where it's like oh no i i never liked those guys never oh they were always Always beneath, beneath my tastes. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, there's <laughs> this one. This is the one. If you visit comic book shops, you get, I mean, people pick up on, like, catchphrases and what's cool at the time. And I just can't stand people who, like, uh, you know, these particular runs. Oh, have you seen the Simonson run on Thor? It's like the best. <laughs> <laughs> Peter David's The Hulk is great. And Christopher Priest, The Black Panthers, just genius. You know, if Romita Jr.'s run on Daredevil, shut up. Listen, don't take those issues. Sit down and tell me that John Romita's art on Daredevil is any good. It's not. The spoiler. And, you know, Walt Simonson, you think about the people who've done Thor in the past. You think of Take an issue of John Buscemi. Yeah, right, exactly. John Buscemi on Thor. He's the only guy who could draw the guy. And then you get... You get 
Walt Simonson. I just I just can't believe it. People like that. It's it's no good. <laughs> it's boring. I don't care. Listen, if you I don't care who you are, you could be Eric Larson or, or Rob Liefeld and you could say it's the best. It stinks. How about that? <laughs> can't stand it. I, I tell you what, I uh I bought the uh I'm looking at it right now, the four visionaries, Walt Simonson. I bought it uh probably boy, like 10, 15 years ago, and I was so psyched because like you said it was one of those that, you know, you have to like. Absolutely. And, dude, I made it, like, two issues in, and I was like, first of all, Thor bores me. Me too. Even in the best of situations. I, I, I can see I could see Thor, and I'm just like, I'm out. No, not doing it. Yep. And then when I see the when I see his, like, his old English font and the, the thous, and I was like, oh, pfft, no, no, done. Can't do I... it. Crap. <laughs> Another one is, the other one is, it's, the modern day equivalent to that, because those are sort of old right now. Mm. So people talk about them. Have they ever read it? Half of people didn't. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, but now the one that really gets on my nerves and it just makes me puke. I don't even comment on it. Is like, have you read the Morrison run? The Morrison run? The Morrison hey, run? Hey, 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 careful. Oh, careful. come on. Come careful. on. It's, careful. Listen, I, I, grew, <laughs> I, I grew up with Keith Giffen on JLA, brother. And that is the shit right there. You could keep the Morrison run as toilet paper with Mad Dog Word. I don't care. Oh, you, you know, I, actually, you know, Morrison's JLA is uh, one of the like a handful of Morrison stuff that I really never glommed on to. No, I didn't um, like it. for didn't me like, it. Uh, like Morrison is is Doom Patrol, New oh, X-Men. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. But yeah, the, the JLA run, it's it just it didn't do a whole lot for me. It was uh, just too much. I mean, it's going to sound weird. It was just too much action. It was just too much high action and not enough characterization for me. You're damn um, right. And listen, anybody can do a JLA book if they give everyone the entire roster. Sure. Yeah, think, it's true. Think about yeah, it. They, he had the Magnificent Seven, yeah. Yes. Think about it. Any Everybody who ever did JLA was always neutered with the with the shitty end of the roster. I mean, the poor... Yes, the the poor folks who had JLA Detroit. I don't know how they made it so long, but they were doing Yaleman's work there, brother. They were trying to keep that afloat. <laughs> but good lord, and this guy Morrison just gets the you know the Magic Seven there, and you know yep. everyone everyone heralds it as the best run in JLA. Well, newsflash, it ain't. I'm moving on. <laughs> My third pet peeve: Legion of Superheroes. I love Legion of Superheroes, and I know mm. it's one of these dark territories for 99% of the known world. But I'm one of these guys who who love the complicated history, and I know you love X-Men, Chris, and sure. you know Claremont to Claremont. I like X-Men too, but you know that is laden with deep history. I mean, you you kind of got to have a background in X-Men to really fully enjoy it and understand it. There's a lot and, of lore. Yeah. But the Legion oh, buries that. that. Oh yeah, that is like that is like a niche of a niche of a niche. That is like oh, boy. catacombs of crap, and it's thick and full. You know what I mean? Hard and heavy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Any time that I tried getting into the Legion was always those like sort of like you know where they put like the sign post up saying this is a good jumping on point. You know, like this is where <laughs> you want to come in. And I'd come in, I'd open the book, there'd be seven thousand colorful characters staring at me. None of them get named, and I'm like, what am I doing? It's <laughs> no, like forget, forget it. And then when you find us, like, okay, well this one's name is Imra. This is Lord Gan. It's like, what? Is, oh, no, no, give me Bob and <laughs> give, me, give me real <laughs> names. I I could barely keep any of this straight. So yeah, Legion fans have my utmost respect for being able to keep it straight and uh, and to and to be able to speak about it with uh, you know eloquence uh, where I couldn't even uh, hazard a, a try. 
our friends of the show, uh, Peter and Eric, who do the uh, the Legion podcast, they do a brilliant job with this. <laughs> they, it's called the Legion Project, the Legion Project podcast. And when I say they go in deep on Legion, they go in deep. And I guarantee, you, if you're not a Legion fan, try keeping up with those guys because they know their stuff. Whoa, <laughs> way over the head of the most most valuable listener. But anyway, great job to those guys. And the last thing is. I can't stand people who are all of a sudden too good to read an Archie comic. Like, seriously, just go ahead and read an Archie comic. Do yourself a a world of wonder when you're when you're (laughs) when you're bombarded with the crap in 2020 and you go to a comic shop and you're disoriented. Just turn to your local grocery store and grab an Archie comic. It resets your mind, sir. So so you're not talking about the uh, you're not talking about the Mark Wade uh, Archie (laughs) 90210, are you? Oh, it's the it's the Mark Wade run. It's the newest one. It's the Mark. I love the Mark Wade run of Archie. Shut up. Move on. Archie was created by Mark Wade, right? <laughs> of course he was. Yeah. <laughs> no, some of mine are. Uh, I have a problem with the terminology some fans use. Um, oh, of course. If if someone says floppy, referring to a single issue around me, I like I want to grow claws. <laughs> I, I I think that is the most dismissive thing. I mean, these floppies are what the entire industry was built on and to, and to call them that screw you. Yeah, that's not, that's, 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 I hate that. Um, here, here, sir. Here, here. Oh, God, it's single issue is fine. You could say issue. You can, yep. it doesn't have to be some cool hashtag floppy thing. You know, it doesn't need to be that. <laughs> um, it doesn't sound cute. It just sounds dismissive. It sounds like you, you, you don't care about the, uh, the industry you claim to love. Um, I, uh, I hate variants. Um, and, uh, the fact that we've been trained to consider blank covers to be variants. Oh boy. Hey, yeah. let's give them, let's give them the blank cover variant. Let's give them nothing. Wow. Yeah. Here's nothing. And it's you like, know, you do know that those people are laughing up in the boardroom, taking your money, right? you like, you do it. understand that. Yeah, they are hilarious. And, and I, and, and as a, as an, you know, as a loss leader or whatever, as a line item, I have no problem with a blank cover if maybe you only sold them at Comic-Con because that's where you would be to get things drawn on. Absolutely. But to, but to go to your neighborhood comic shop and buy a blank cover of Avengers Volume 37, Number 1, <laughs> what is that going to do you? you you're going like, to throw, throw it in a long box and then like hope that you remember to bring it with you along with the other 55 blank covers you bought? <laughs> <laughs> to, to whatever Comic-Con comes by your town or you travel to. I mean, I, I don't go to Comic-Con. That's that's one thing I don't do. But uh, like if I was online to like meet somebody, maybe Grant Morrison. And, uh, and like if I saw somebody with like five blank covers ahead of me, like one yes. on everything. It's like, no, no, step out. <laughs> oh, man, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, but th- those, are, those are sort of my pet peeves. I, I don't like... Um, I have a problem being referred to as like a comic geek. Oh, uh, I, I to me, I'm just a guy who likes comic books. Um, but I think like we all need to like belong, so we we kind of identify. Absolutely. I, and I mean, if that's what makes you feel good, that's fine. I it's just something that goes up my ass sideways, and <laughs> I can't deal with it. But uh, yeah, so you know, I, I don't refer to myself as a fanboy. I don't refer to myself as a nerd. I'm just a guy who likes comic books. And that's that's that used to be enough. 
<laughs> it is enough. It is enough, damn it. And I stand by your side, sir. Your <laughs> non-geeky, non-fanboy side. Back in the day, we used to let the other people call us those names. <laughs> and that was okay. Uh, now back to our man Salakrup here. He was born in Manhattan, New York. His greatest accomplishment outside of comics was finding an affordable apartment in New York City or near New York City. Uh, his oddest habit was going to an er- is going to an early morning aerobics class three times a week. Uh oh. <laughs> Let's get physical. Physical. <laughs> you want to get physical? Um, now, who would play him in a movie? Lady Jerry Lewis. Uh, was Jerry Lewis ever funny? Be honest with me, because I don't I don't get it. I always look I don't at know. Like, yeah. I look at like older comedians sometimes, and you know I get why they were popular. You know they have a certain style or certain thing that stands out about them and all that stuff. But to me, Jerry Lewis was like, he's almost like Howie Mandel to me. He's got that <laughs> mold where I'm just not comfortable watching his act. And, you know, it just makes me crawl with ease, unease inside. You know what I mean? I, I, I just don't get it or want to understand it. It's uncomfortable. He, he had a lot of uh, he had a lot of uh, famous friends, I guess. Uh, uh, cool. Did you ever see the uh, the interview with him from like two or three years ago? that someone conducted and uh, he just did not, he was not giving them an inch during this interview. It's so uncomfortable to watch. Oh, really? Oh boy. I'm sure it's on YouTube um, because it went around on social media when it happened. uh, And this, this, this poor interviewer is just asking him basic questions and Jerry is giving him none of it. And uh, like mocking the questions. It's been it's been like two or three years since I watched it. But I just remember being like it was like total cringe material. And uh, oh, boy, he saw he looked and sounded like a very crabby (laughs) individual. Wow. Another thing about Jerry Lewis. You ever hear of the day the clown cried? Not a thing. Okay. now this is What, what, what gives. This is a Jerry Lewis movie that he had pulled before it could be released. Oh. In it, he played. It's it's a movie about the Holocaust, and in it, he played a clown. Okay, and uh, he had it he had it boxed up, and I think it was sent to. Oh boy, it might be the Smithsonian, but it might be it might be it. It was sent somewhere secure, and it was uh, they were given the explicit instructions not to release it until like a hundred years in the future, because he was so ashamed of this work. Wow. And, uh, and I'm I'm a you know I'm a big fan of like uh, lost media, obscure media stuff that you know just like uh you know Marion Stokes here you know uh, being afraid that we're gonna lose out on footage you know anytime I hear of like some weird footage that was uncovered or like a like a TV pilot that was uncovered I'm always there to check it out and uh, probably God within the past year. This uh, a 30 minute version of the day the clown cried was on one of the websites, like maybe Daily Motion or Vimeo or something. And, oh yeah. Uh, and I watched some of it. It, it. It's in German. This one, this one was in German. Uh, I don't know if it's actually in German, but this cut was in German. And this story has uh, Jerry Lewis as a clown in in a concentration camp. Ooh. And uh, the ch- and this is this is some dark stuff. The kids that they have to do what they do with the kids won't go with the police with the uh, with the Nazi officer. So they get the clown to like march them in. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean Yikes. Some dark, dark Ugh. stuff. And um 
Lewis's performance wasn't bad, but I could definitely understand not wanting people to see this because oh, it no, is no. dark. Jesus. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the day the clown cried, if you, uh, if you ever get the opportunity, I, I only watched a few minutes of it, but, uh, oof, it's, it's heavy. It'll, it'll hurt you. It'll hurt oh, you real, real man. bad. Yeah. yeah. But anytime I think of Jerry Lewis, that's like the first thing that pops into my mind right now. Besides, you know, the the, the Labor Day Labor Day telethons. But uh, now uh, back to Mr. Salicro. Why <laughs> did he pick comic books? He picked comics because it was one of the greatest loves of his life. There you go. Respect that for sure. Yeah. Now people in high school thought that Jim was the luckiest guy in the world because even in high school he was already working at Marvel. See. This guy actually has the right answers. Finally. Yes. Guys. Somebody who actually loves comics, talking about comics. Go figure. Man. Yeah, Salicrip's career at Marvel, it started when he was only 15 years old. Uh, he wrote to Roy Thomas, and he offered to be a Marvel slave. Oh. Hmm. Thankfully, they didn't take him up on that. They just made him a messenger <laughs> instead. So he, he wasn't he wasn't massaging uh, you know Jim Shooter's feet. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, so he was just a, he was a messenger. So that's a, that's a good way to get in the door, I guess, because he worked his way up. Now, uh, his favorite performers include Ring, Ringo Starr. Uh, yeah, that was his first one. Yeah, I, Ringo Starr, I didn't realize was a, was like a, like a big deal when I was growing up. The first time I think I actually saw or heard his name, it was in a Pizza Hut commercial with <laughs> stuffed crust pizza. And he's like, lads, turn the pizza around. <laughs> and he, he turns. That was back when they were trying to like make you eat the pizza backwards because the crust was stuffed with cheese. But oh. uh, yeah, lads, the time has come to eat our pizza crust first. But uh, <laughs> so Ringo Starr was his top Great. performer. Also, Merv Griffin, uh, Alice Cooper. Uh, you have any Alice Cooper memories? Alice Cooper memory schools out is it was always the anthem of, uh, you know, when, when our school would close down for the year or to go into summer or to, you know, go to Christmas break. It was always schools out forever. You know, it was always, it was always that theme and it was on the end of our grad video too, which always distressed me somewhat because now I <laughs> look back and look back and just weep about it. <laughs> but anyway, Alice Cooper, uh, he was just that guy who was at WrestleMania two leading yeah. the, uh, leading the Bulldogs to the ring. And I thought that was super cool. I had no idea who the guy was because I wasn't allowed to buy his record. So there you go. He's local here. He actually lives probably within a half hour of me. And, uh, ah. And he he does a whole bunch of local commercials for local businesses. Wow. And uh, it's the weirdest thing in the world to see, like, Alice Cooper, who you used to, like, you know, being on stage with, like, caskets and yep. electric chairs. And and he's, like, he's like trying to sell you a used car. Like, literally. He's like, <laughs> yeah, come on over to Cactus Jack's used car lot. It's like, what? It's uh, <laughs> crazy stuff. And I, and I guess he's really big into golf, too, So because you see him in, in golfing gear a lot. So, oh. yeah, that's. That's Alice Child, Cooper. It's childhood yeah, ruined. Yeah, yeah. Don't meet your heroes. Um, <laughs> Buster Poindexter is among his favorite performers. And I think Buster Poindexter only had one song like the bare naked ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you die of AIDS. I hope you die of AIDS. <laughs> was he hot, hot, hot? Or was that, or was, was that Buster Poindexter? I have no idea who Buster Poindexter even is. Or was I he put on the Ritz? Maybe. Well, he was one of those. Uh, Lassie, the dog. I'm assuming. Mm. Captain Kangaroo, 
Jack Benny, Bob Hope, William Powell, Myrna Loy, Carol Lombard, Mariel Hemingway, Brooke Shields, and many more. I think the one that sticks out, like you said, Ringo Starr, like yeah, he's the one top of, those, of the list. Yeah, he's one of those names like Paul McCartney that back in the day, like you, you have to like because he's cool, you know. <laughs> he's like he's like the Walt Simonson run on comics. You have to like Ringo Starr, my God. And uh, <laughs> the whole Lassie thing worries me too. And I'm not sure what this guy's doing in his aerobics class, but true. It's weird it stuff. Habit. It is an odd <laughs> habit. Uh, now, the last good book he did or didn't read, and I, I'm not sure about this one, it's uh, Slaves of New York by Tama Janowitz. Ah, shut your mouth, Charles. Wrong song. <laughs> he was reading Thundercats and uh, from <laughs> from Star Comics at the time. Thundercats, ho! That's what he was reading. <laughs> well, this, this book is actually about finding an affordable apartment in New York City, oh, which maybe. was his greatest accomplishment, so... Maybe he took it as, as a reference guide. Who knows? Maybe. Now, the last good movie he saw was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, Jesus. This guy hates movies altogether then. Good Lord. Yeah. His biggest influences, Stan Lee, Jim Shooter. What? What? And Andy Warhol. I yeah. love this guy. I love him. Yeah. Crazy. I, I can't believe that got printed. Um, his greatest unfulfilled ambition is to make Amazing Spider-Man the number one best-selling comic in the world. Oh, he just got to hang around till the Todd yeah. father comes. That's all he's got to do. That's it. He's going to get close real, real soon. Um, the worst part of the job, and it's not going to be something half-assed or, or smarmy. He says the worst part is not having enough time. Well, how about that? that well, this this, this makes dude's sense. good. Yes, he is. When nobody's looking, he plugs Marvel Age magazine. Could be the only one who's doing that, but that's okay. Yeah, when <laughs> when when you look at Marvel Age, it, it could have been a concept that was really solid, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, you got stories, but they basically didn't matter. They weren't really canon. They didn't, you know, resolve about anything. And you had a lot of crap with Kazar and the Savage Land, and nobody wanted to read. You know, so I don't know. It's just well, that was the uh, the in-house fanzine, the, yeah. the Marvel Age. That was the yeah, uh, yeah like that's where like. They did like the the Kurt Busiek Dark Phoenix thing or the Dark uh, right. the Resurrection of Phoenix thing. It's a lot of weird stuff in there. Um, yep. it's one of those things you'll always find in a quarter bin. So it's, oh, uh, definitely. I have a stack of them, and I don't oh, think totally. I read two. <laughs> no, the only thing that we should know about him that we didn't ask already is that Glenn Hurdling and Dwight John Zimmerman do all of his work. Oh, why don't you get Simonson or Morrison to do your work? You know, they're the best after all. So. <laughs> <laughs> Choke fuckers. <laughs> no. The Mighty Marvel Checklist. Strike Force Moratorium number 19 gets no blurb. Oh, shocker. Yeah, once again, no blurbs for any of the monthlies. But, uh, of course, please, 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 please vote for Marvel in those CBG awards. Those are very, very important. <laughs> now, ads. More mind reading. They really wanted us to learn how to read minds back in the day. Um, <laughs> Boy, they did. This one comes with a disclaimer. That's <laughs> it says, <laughs> you will not be asked to join an occult group or worship the devil, etc. Oh my god! Like, what are you peddling to kids? What in the hell is happening here? Like, what eight-year-old kid wants to mind read? Like, seriously, when was the last time you saw like a young child mind reading? You know what I mean? Come mm. over here. Come over here, parent. I'll read your mind. Right? It'd be dangerous. Think about it. <laughs> right now, today, they'd be institutionalized or put in a special class because, like, little Johnny talks to demons. You know what I mean? 
little Johnny bit his pop tart into the shape of a of a handgun, and then he talked to the <laughs> devil. Oh, yikes, man! You know, it, it, it's funny because like in in uh, Japan at the time during the eighties, like ESP was like a real big deal. Oh God, like, yes. They, they told they they had like a lot of manga and uh, anime about espers, you know, about young kids who could read minds and stuff. Not so much here, at least as far as I can remember. So this is very strange to have, uh, especially with the prolificity here, because I mean we see it every month. It's like yep. learn to read minds over and over again. But uh, I just, uh, you know, I wasn't going to mention it here, but I was just so tickled by them saying that you don't have to join an occult group. And, oh uh, man, creepy. Yeah, and it's like it's like uh, it it tells of how the mind works and of miracle drugs and more. This book, the secrets of mind reading, reveal, revealed here. Miracle drugs? I mean, what? It, insane. <laughs> and it, this is this is ten dollars too. This is nine dollars and ninety five cents. Postage paid. Fifty um, percent off the cover price of so twenty dollars here by uh, United Unlimited in Cleveland, Ohio. That's a uh, United Unlimited sounds like a trustworthy name, right? <laughs> sounds very mm-hmm. generic, back like white van type material. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like, oh yeah, they used to be there, but they're not anymore. Um, <laughs> we get a house ad from Marvel for Typhoid Mary appearing in Daredevil, drawn by oh, John Romita Jr. Now think about that. It's just one of those runs that I can't stand as well. Now think about this. <laughs> what what is Frank Miller known for in, on his uh, Frank Miller run, like the famous run of Daredevil? What's the character that he stands for? Electra. Electra, correct. Now she died and came back to life in a whole whole you know a whole convoluted <laughs> story. So this, I think, is Romita's attempt, Romita Jr.'s attempt at making his own version of Electra. You know what I mean? That's that's what that's my my first thought when I saw Typhoid Mary because you know she's like the sword wielding nut job in Daredevil's life, and <laughs> not exactly the most original thing in the world. But uh, you know, for the Romita run, this is probably you know the standout character for me when it comes to villains and different things like that. So I'm I'm all right with Typhoid Mary. It's probably the only thing that kept me buying that stuff. And yes, I bought the entire John Romita run because I had to be one of those cool kids. You were, you were indeed. And I always, uh, I always associate Typhoid Mary with, uh, Anne Nascenti who was writing, uh, Daredevil and, uh, oh, yeah. always seemed like a pet character for her where, you know, like thinking about, um, like you can't have like a Steve Englehart story without Mantis being shoved in it. <laughs> You're I, right. I, I feel like you can't have a Nocenti story without Typhoid Mary somehow being jammed into it. I agree a thousand percent. <laughs> Now we have uh, another uh, another ad from our friends at Comic Images. Uh, last time they had a Marvel Universe trading card set. Now we have the Marvel Universe Series 1 sticker set. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's uh, so I like sticker books back in the day. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what you guys got, you know, across the border there, but we had all kinds of different things from Panini was the big group that used to sure. sell them over here. So, you know, I had He-Man sticker books and I had, you know, Hockey Stars sticker books and different things like that. So a Marvel Universe sticker book, I think it would have been all about that. But this one kind of cheats because you can get the entire set of stickers in yep. one drop, you know, and your book is done. I mean, there, seriously, this is not card collecting. This is no. stickers. So, I mean, you know, the the whole intent of a sticker book is, you know, you finding these stickers and, you know, finally getting number 25 to finish off your page. You know what I mean? But yet you get them all here. What's the fun of that? Your book is done and you just, what do you do? Throw it in the closet? Collect stuff? Yeah, why not just just get a book with the pictures in it? Yes. 
And nope. I mean, it doesn't—it doesn't even say that the, the, the. I mean, for all we know, the stickers are already affixed to the pages. <laughs> it's like one of those sticker books you get from Scholastic or something, where all the stickers <laughs> are are built right in. You just place them on the page. But man, the only thing you're really getting here is twenty-five dollars out of your bank account. That's, That's the it. only thing you're getting there. Good idea. Mm-hmm. I love sticker books. So you know, I was a Panini kid. I love that stuff. And in the ad here, it says uh, comics, images, and in ha- handwritten, it says Department Two. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> What is that about? Like they Maybe literally they expanded. Went to, went to, <laughs> Department one was the one who sold the trading cards. Department two, stickers. There you go. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Department three in five years will be Pogs. Oh, a, no. It'll no. be great. It's going to be great. Uh, Terrible yes, crap. Yes, yeah, so $25 and four weeks later, you get a book that you can put stickers in with all the stickers there. Um, <laughs> our final ad, Contra and Jackal, NES from Konami. I can talk about Contra all day long. You know what Contra is, Chris? Hmm. Contra is the Simonson run of Konami. <laughs> Konami, brother. I guarantee you, I just loved and still love that game to this day. Every single one of my kids has beaten Contra with me. We always get that 30-man slap into Konami code, and we are good, and we're killing we're killing some aliens at the end of this one. I loved it. Absolutely, 100%. Konami bred. I'll be Konami dead, my man. I loved it. <laughs> And this is this might be the most manly video oh, game I've ever seen in my life here. Glistening pecs. There's a and, lot of uh, sack going on on that page, brother. Yes, there there sure in the hell is. It's a uh, it's almost intimidating. I, I'm kind of scared to look <laughs> at it. it I, I don't want to make eye contact with any of these men. Uh, but they they look manly and uh, That's awesome. It, it's better than the uh, the European version, I'm sure, because those were all robots, if you remember. Oh, they changed, yes. They, they remade yes. Contra as Probotector, and it was all Ugh. robots. Oh, I got to check that. I got to download the emulator to that. I can't wait to play that. Yeah, it's, it's the same game. It's just uh, it's just no humans. We're, we're harmed in the making of it. But uh, <laughs> that is uh, that is Strike Force Moritori, number 19, uh, the penultimate Gillis and Anderson joint um, from cover to cover. And uh, we had a good time talking about this. We hope you had a good time listening, if in fact you are. Um, do you have anything you want to plug before we head out the dough? Well, I'm about to dive into some uh, WWE action, some money in the bank. So you're you can not, check us out. You're not going to dive the... off the roof, are you? <laughs> I just may, depending <laughs> on the quality of this pay-per-view. <laughs> Who knows? But you can check us out over on the W2M Network with Mr. Mark Radlich, and we're going to be discussing some money in the bank coming up. So check us out there, and we'll be back, or I'll be back with Chris, hopefully, <laughs> if the moratory process doesn't kill us all, uh, next Monday for moratory number 20. So we shall see you there. There. Absolutely. And uh, you can find me over at Chris's on Infinite Earths.com and then uh, all the places where the shows are Chris and Reggie.com and all the uh, places that, uh, <laughs> that feed from there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You're at Charlton underscore hero. So uh, check us out there. We want to definitely hear your thoughts on, uh, on the video game. Uh, we definitely want to hear that. Uh, we had a lot of fun putting those pieces together and uh, and altering some uh, some old you know clip uh, not clip art uh, pixel art just uh, having a good old time. So we want to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Uh, but I think that is all the time we'll take up from you this time out. So uh, we want to thank you so so much for hanging out with us today, and uh, we will talk to you again real soon. See ya.